This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it! Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering MLB postseason. Thank you all for uh, joining us. We are just uh, one day away from Yankees Astros ALCS baseball. The National League side of it is going on as we speak the Washington Nationals have a one nothing lead over the Cardinals, but uh, tonight we will talk strictly about the American League side of things. So, joining me uh, tonight, a couple of Astros bloggers. We have Andrew Gleinsner and uh, Brett Chancy, both from Climbing Towels Hill. Dot com under the fan-sided brand. How are you, gentlemen? Doing, Doing well. great. Thank well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, I designed it, you know, to try to have one from each team, but uh, Yan- Yankee uh, bloggers are pretty busy right now, probably lying to themselves how they're going to, you know, breeze through this Astro series, but... Uh, I, I think some of us have a different uh, view on that. So uh, thanks for uh, coming on. So I guess, first of all, did the did the Rays kind of stress you out a little bit? I mean, off to a 2-0 start. Next thing you know, it's game five. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think so, at least for me. Uh, mostly because of the way they were able to shut down the Astros' offense for almost all of that series. And we knew the Rays had good pitching, but even then it, it, it still kind of surprised me how effective they were at keeping those hitters off balance. No, yeah, I was I was surprised as well. Um, I'm not surprised that the Rays did scrap out a couple wins, but... Um, everybody kept talking about how we had a horrible record at Tropicana Field, and my philosophy was, well, they've never played us in the playoffs, or we've never played there in the playoffs, and you know things are quote unquote supposed to be different. Um, my son and I attended Game Two, um, just watching Garrett Cole with that performance of 15 strikeouts. Um, you walk away from that game feeling like there's no way they lose game three after this. I mean, the energy was electric. I know they didn't win by a huge margin, but you're just thinking there's no way they go to Tropicana and not necessarily lay a goose egg, but just kind of falter. And um, there's definitely something to be said about the Rays, the Rays bullpen, the way the Rays do things. They're they're young and inexperienced. And sometimes 
that could be a double-edged sword for an experienced team that has the postseason pedigree going against a team that's got nothing to lose. Yeah, I mean, we get an overdose of the Rays every year because we're in the same division, so 19 to 20 games. And, you know, due to the injuries to Glass now and Snell this year, Morton was the basically the only pitcher going through the order multiple times, you know, at least two or three times. And aside from that, it was, you know, a lot of openers, a lot of bullpen games, and the Red Sox seemed to struggle mightily where they were only getting one look at each pitcher. And that was a struggle for us. And it seemed like you guys' bats got a little cold once you got to the trop. And I was sweating it out because I'm like, you know, if if the Yankees win the World Series, my life on Twitter is going to be hell. I have talked endless shit all, you know, basically the last couple of years. So I'm like, man, you know, the Astros really need to win this one because I don't know how much I, you know, we can trust the uh, Nationals or the uh, Cardinals at this point uh, to take the Yankees out, but I, I think the Astros are well suited to, but you know, I knew Glass now, uh, you know, pitched pretty well for what was it, four or five innings in, in game two. And, right. um, you know, so, well, you know, they found something, obviously, you know, the way he was, you know, standing, you know, before his windup. I don't remember if it was his head positioning or his hand positioning or whatever, but the, uh, the Astros figured something out and uh, was able to jump on him there in that first inning. And, and then you guys' bats did get a little quiet there until you had back-to-back home runs uh, late in the game. So um, I'm, I'm just kind of relieved that it worked out. But uh, the, the Rays are just an epic pain in the ass, you know, to their credit. But, yeah, so uh, the one game you, you did talk about, Game 3, where you, you thought after Cole's epic... Uh, you know, 15 strikeout game, you had Grinky, and he's your big midseason acquisition, kind of came out of nowhere at like 3.59 p.m. on the day of the deadline, <laughs> and uh, I was happy to see it, you know, because I knew we weren't making the playoffs, so, you know, if you guys were going to, you know, get stronger, you know, to go on that deep run, I thought Grinky was really intriguing, but what are your expectations with him? Because he is your game one starter. Yeah. Um, my thinking actually is Grinky in a lot of ways could be the key to this whole series because you know what you're going to get with Cole and Verlander, you know, they're going to be tough with Grinky. If he can step up and be that third ace, I don't know how the Yankees can top that. As good as their lineup is, if you have six games with those three guys pitching, that's going to be tough. And I would expect Grinky to be better than he was in the division series for sure. Um, he looked really sharp in the first inning. He was really carving up those hitters, and then he was hanging some changeups uh, as the game went on. And and you know when you're a guy who who doesn't throw that hard anymore you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room, a lot of room for mistakes, even more so in the postseason. But 
I would expect him not necessarily to do what Garrett Cole did, but I don't see any reason why he can't go out there, even in Yankee Stadium, and give you six innings of maybe two-run ball. And I think the Astros will take that any day. Right. No, yeah, I agree with you with you wholeheartedly, Andrew, on that. Um, I think a lot of people are thinking that just because we saw – Grinky falter in game three you know he hadn't pitched in 11 days so he wasn't he I mean 11 days is a long time for a pitcher um but with the Yankees gearing up for this for this high velocity um pitching I think Grinky is 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 a perfect pitcher to a term I've heard multiple um analysts talk about slowing the bats down slowing the pace down and and I mean, he's going to be laser focused. He's at home. I mean, he has pitched well at home. I don't. I don't know that he's pitched a bad game. He's maybe given up a couple. He's maybe given up a couple home runs in a game here or there. But I believe he's won like his last seven games at Minute Maid Park. Um, I think with him going first, it sets up the rotation for the rest of the um, series, and we can talk about that later. But. Um, you know, I'm looking at guys like Richard Justice, um, who writes for MLB now, used to be Houston Chronicle writer. Um, he's picking the Yankees to pull out game one with Judge hitting a couple home runs. And so I think there's a lot of people that are keying in on, I mean, they are the Bronx Bombers right now. They are, they are a heavy-handed team when it comes to their bats. Um, but Grinky's speed, I mean, 67 to 80-something miles per hour versus – you know, driving a 98 mile an hour fastball out, out, out in center field, it just doesn't happen. So hopefully if he does induce contact, it's soft contact. And then on top of that, um, Tanaka last time he pitched against us, he pitched a good game, but his ERA against us is actually really high. So I think we, we have to jump on them early like we did in game five against the Rays. Um, and I think if we do that, we, we solidify Grinky's spot to be able to go to the sixth or even seventh inning. I remember that 2015 wild card game. Uh, that was Keiko versus Tanaka, and you guys tuned him up pretty good. A much different roster there, but um, and that was in Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, impressively. Um, with Grinky though, I just worry about you know his. He's got an issue with anxiety, which has been you know highly publicized, and I don't know if you guys have seen his press conferences, but oh yeah. He's like mm-hmm. Belichick, but less douchey, you know, just very quick, you know, and, uh, you know, doesn't really, you know, say a whole lot other than basic answers. So I just I just hope the moment isn't too big for him. You know, Arizona, you know, his limited playoff, you know, appearances there weren't great. Um, I think he might have had that one or two decent starts when he was with the Dodgers. So... I just hope pitching at home this time and, you know, a semi-familiar environment, he might settle into a groove. One thing that isn't really getting talked about is the Yankees haven't played since Monday. So maybe they're a little cold. And I haven't been able to pull up uh, some numbers yet, but Sanchez was pretty cold throughout the series. I I don't know what Stanton uh, did, but... Um, you know, so you guys could be catching a, a couple of those guys at the right time in addition to the lengthy layoff. 
So I'm just hoping that plays into uh, Grinky's favor. And if if you guys do come away with that, game two, like you guys said, looking good. Garrett Cole, he'll be pitching in Yankee Stadium. He's only ever had one start there. Uh, six innings uh, pitched, gave up three earned runs, so not terrible. And he's in a good groove right now, so... You know, it could very well be a better start. And he's up against Severino in Game 3, who to me is a complete wild card at this point. He's he's looked good. He, he's looked shaky in some starts. And his postseason record uh, also uh, not great. So the Red Sox caught him tipping pitches last year. And we were able to pounce on him. So I wonder if Alex Cora will call up his old buddy, A.J. Hinch and say, hey, look for this. <laughs> but um, that's an interesting matchup. And I feel great about the Verlander one in game two. He just completely annihilates the Yankees. You know, he knows it. They know it. And uh, it's fun to watch them melt down about it on Twitter. Oh, yeah. No, you know, I just want to, um, you know, piggyback on that. Um, I really think it sets up perfectly, um, you know, like I said, with with Grinky starting out with the slower speed, with the slower velocity, and then going to Verlander and then cranking it up to Cole because Cole going game three sets him up for a game seven if it's needed. And right now, I think even Verlander would say would would want Garrett Cole to have the ball because, I mean, he's he's on this run, you know, eleven straight games with ten plus with, with you know ten strikeouts or more. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the Yankees bats are actually cold right now. Um, but you know, they're dangerous in their lineup top to bottom. But the thing is, I think the Astros analytic department, um, I think being at home, he'll be fine. I think he gets a lot of mentoring also, even though he's older than Cole, I think he gets a lot of mentoring from Cole and Verlander. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, and I think if he can take it to the seventh inning, I really think Harris, Presley, and Osuna can really um, do a number in freezing up these bats, hopefully, late late in the game. How is Presley? I, I, he was a little dinged up this year, and uh, I know he got activated at, at some point in uh, September. Uh, so do you think he can kind of revert to his 2018 form when he was just out of his mind? Well, or even his first half of 2019 form, um, he was lights out as well. I I don't know how much confidence A.J. Hinch has in him right now because he went to Harris more than Presley in the division series. True. And I, and I understand why. Harris has been one of the best relief pitchers in the game this season, better than anybody the Astros have. Um, so he's, he's your guy if you need to get out of a jam. Um, he, Presley, he had a rough outing, uh, in the division series. Then he came in and, and, uh, had a clean outing. So, uh, I, I think at this point, kind of the roles are reversed between, uh, Presley and Harris. Harris is kind of your setup guy now, uh, to get to Osuna. Osuna is in a way he's like Severino. He's a wild card. He's, he's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde character. It, when he's on, when we have the good Osuna, he's as good as anybody. But then there are days where he goes out there and he just doesn't look like the same guy. And we saw that in uh, in uh, Game 2. Um, so the, the Astros' bullpen, 
doesn't have the depth that the Yankees does. Um, and so that's, you know, Brett mentioned this earlier. It's important for the Astros offense to really jump on the starting pitchers because if you give their bullpen a lead, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that is tough. And um, I'm glad you said that because, you know, in game two, um, when they brought in Osuna, when there was two outs in the eighth inning, um, I remember looking at the people around us going, hey, why doesn't Hinch go with Harris? And when Osuna got that out and he came back in, then Harris actually came in to get the save. I was actually glad that Harris was still there to bail them out because he has been the starter. He was kind of my pick. I talked to someone else about this. He he was like my sleeper stud pick for the All-Stars, like the guy, I mean, for the playoffs, the guy that was going to shine and be kind of the unsung hero. Um, that's an excellent point, Andrew. Uh, Osuna, the Red Sox have had his number, and he's basically he spent most of his career uh, in the AL East with Toronto till. You guys acquired him. I just pulled up another stat, and I mean, I, I I hope this is right, but according to baseball reference, he's had 15 appearances in Yankee Stadium, 15.2 innings pitched, 0.00 ERA, never given up oh, wow. a hard run. I this I'm this must be right. So <laughs> I uh, cause wow, I, that's I, impressive. I was thinking that the Yankees might have you know tattooed him a, a couple of times here and there, uh, and maybe they did at at his uh, home parks. But um, but he's got good numbers: two thirty eight ERA in the in the Rogers Center and uh, ERA just over three at Minute Maid. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, he could very well be a, a weapon for you more than what you might expect, you know, based on, uh, previous numbers. Uh, what about Davinsky? I mean, I, I know he was decent, you know, throughout your 2017 run. Is he still a, a guy you can go to in a, in a semi high leverage situation? Unfortunately not. Um, he he wasn't on the uh, division series roster. He's not going to be on the on the ALCS roster. He's the past this season and last season. He he just lost whatever mojo he had. He was so good for a couple of years, and the past two years just have not gone well for him. He's given up a lot more hits uh, than he used to. He's still striking out guys, but. Um, you know, he's had ERAs in the high fours the past couple of years. Um, just unfortunately, not a not a guy they can trust right now, and I, I wouldn't expect to see him on the roster at all. Okay. All right. I, w- I was just curious. His name hadn't really popped up, but sounds like you guys are, are pretty stout, though, in the 7th, 8th, and ninth. you know, with Harris, Presley, and Osuna. So that's good. And, and you know, you're... Your first three guys, Grinky, Verlander, and Cole, uh, you know, should all be able to go six or seven innings anyway. So um, I, I think the Yankees might have the opposite problem where, you know, Tanaka, even Paxton could potentially kind of scuffle a little bit, you know, with high pitch counts early on. I, I know the Twins managed to get Paxton out of there in the fifth inning. So, you know, if you guys can kind of work them, you know, at a similar rate, you know, that'll be to your advantage. They do have a, you know, a, a little bit more deeper of a bullpen, but 
But, I mean, we've gotten to Chapman before, and, you know, Ottavino had had some shaky moments, you know, as the season winded down. So, so I think I think you guys are going to be dangerous, you know, every, every, you know, innings one through nine, you know, against them. So, um, let's see. Um, who who are some bats that you, you think might have a good series? I know Brantley was kind of quiet until game five. Like, who are you expecting to really step up here? Well, um, I think I think for me, I'll, um, I'll go ahead and take the lead, and then I'll mention a couple, and then um, I'll hand it over to Andrew. Um, I really think we, we have seen the emergence of George Springer, of, you know, playoff George Springer. Um, come to life in the last two games of the series. I know he got two hits, they didn't win, but um, I think he's really come alive. Um, I'm really looking at um, Springer, um, Altuve, um, and and Bregman, um, and you know Alvarez. You know he had a he had a really solid ALDS. It was kind of quiet because he didn't you know hit the home runs. He didn't have the power numbers. Um, his average dipped towards the end, but. I think I think Alvarez is one of those guys. You know, he had success in the season at Yankee Stadium, um, hitting hitting home runs, and um, I think he's confident against this Yankee pitching. But I think those four guys um, they get it going, and then I think Guriel is your steady Eddie out there. I think Guriel's going to hit probably over four hundred this series. I'll be real honest. Um, but those are really the five guys that I'm looking at. Not that there's not anybody else, but those are the five guys that I think are going to be the key contributors. What do you think, Andrew? I wholeheartedly agree with you on Springer. He was, he did not look good at all the first three games or so of that division series, but game five, he looked much more like himself. Uh, So I think he's, he's gotten out of whatever funk he was in. And I think he's the key to everything for the Astros offense. He sets the tone. If he gets on base or he's hitting leadoff home runs or he's driving in runs later in the game, that just sets the tone for everybody else in that lineup behind it. I do think Altuve is going to have a good series because he's Altuve and he had a good uh, he had a good division series, so he's on a he's on a pretty good hot streak. And I'm I'm really excited to see Jordan Alvarez with that big lefty swing in Yankee Stadium. I really think he can take advantage of that short right field porch out there. Yeah, and you know. Oh, all their actually is Paxton. I can't remember. He's a righty, isn't he? Uh, I believe Paxton's a lefty. Oh, I is think. he a lefty? My bad. Yeah. So that that could be a little bit of an issue there. But uh, Tanaka, Severino, both righties, so he should be able to, um, you know, possibly put some good swings out there. Because yes, that right field is basically the smallest in Major League Baseball. Um, I did notice with Alvarez, he had a couple of at-bats against Snell. You know, Cash kept bringing in Snell against him. And the earlier one, I think that might have been in Game 4, his at-bat against Snell was just painful. Uh, Snell's pitches weren't even strikes for the most part. And, and you know, Alvarez was chasing. And then I noticed yesterday in the Game 5 appearance, he was a lot more relaxed and a lot more patient, and he ended up flying out once it, you know, came to a full count. So I, I just hope that he's able to kind of settle down and, uh, 
you know, you know, be composed in there because he he definitely is a big bat for you guys and could definitely end up being a franchise player here, especially as some of these guys start to hit free agency and you know, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to keep everyone. So, you know, this Alvarez could definitely be, you know, like I said, a franchise guy, and he's just built like a absolute monster, and, and he's fun to watch, especially when he gets a hold of one. Well, you, well, you know, when he was on his on his tear coming up to the minor leagues, I know, I know, all the guys at Climbing Towers Hill, we that's all we talked about, um, and when he got up here, it was just like. I remember several people mentioning, and I think I even tweeted it out saying, we just need to tear up this guy's rookie contract and just give him 10 year. We just need to give him $100 million for 10 years. Just give him $10 million a year for 10 years and just make sure he's here. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, because he had made that much of an impact. And the thing is about him, and he doesn't really seem to get rattled. He gets frustrated, I think, when he gets calls on him that he doesn't like. Um, but he's learning. I mean, he's growing. He's so, I mean, he's a rookie. You know, he's so new at this and that might work to his advantage. You know, he he's he's too young to know what he's supposed to or not supposed to be doing in a way. Yeah, you know, and we've had similar struggles with Devers uh, before this season where we knew the potential was there. He just needed to get a little more polished. And then finally, he really emerged this year. Uh, He might end up being like fourth or fifth or you know maybe sixth or so in the in the MVP voting but I, and I think the Red Sox this offseason are going to prioritize uh, Devers uh, for an extension when you mentioned with Alvarez you know extend him out 10 years Ronald Acuna got like an eight-year deal with two options uh, tacked to the end of it to essentially make it a 10-year uh, deal so if you could get him to agree on that, you know, uh, you know, a reasonable figure there. Wow, I mean, that's going to be a lot of production for you guys for basically his entire prime. Yeah, that that would be huge for sure. And you know, I, I at this point, there are probably more pressing matters that the front office has to deal with. Number exactly. one being Garrett Cole. Um, can they find room to, to bring him back? And then George Springer is a free agent after next year. So they, they've got some more, uh, more pressing matters, but, um, yeah, if they can, if they can lock up Alvarez for, uh, at least his prime years, that, that would be huge because he's going to be a difference maker. I, I don't really have any doubt that he's going to be, a middle-of-the-order bat for the next 15 years at least. And I think, you you know, it, it's kind of a different animal because I think he's going to end up being very affordable regardless. And the Garrett Cole thing is interesting for sure. And a lot of people think he might end up in New York, but you know what? That's never going to happen because they're already over the luxury tax threshold. And they don't have Sanchez on a big contract yet. They don't have Judge on a big contract. Severino's going to need an extension at some point. I know they recently just bought up his arbitration, but he's not going there. So I, I think you guys' biggest competitors are going to 
end up being in the National League. And I kind of hope you guys keep him. You know, you're how much are you picking up on Grinky? It's only like twenty or twenty-two million a year, I think. Uh, I'd have to look. I think it's a little more than that. I know his salary is like thirty-five million. Um, I can't remember exactly how much of that the Diamondbacks are picking up. Um, but Springer is going to. I think the MLB trade rumors estimate is it has him at like twenty-one million dollars in arbitration next year. So um, he's getting a big raise. Correa is going to get a raise. Osuna, a few others. Um, and honestly, I actually think our biggest competition for Cole is going to come within our own division. I think it's going to be the Angels. Um, right. uh, Cole actually played college ball at UCLA, so there's familiarity with the area there. Um, and on top of that, you know, the Angels, they have to be desperate to win at this point because they just locked up Mike Trout for an insane amount of money. And he's hardly ever been to the playoffs, and they desperately need pitching. And who better to bolster that pitching staff than the guy who right now is the best pitcher on the planet? No, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, um, you guys were at, you guys were discussing the money. Um, Arizona basically sent us twenty four million dollars, leaving Houston to cover like fifty three million additional you know, money for his contract. And so like our payroll right now is at 171 million. Um, Garrett Cole, I agree with you. I think he stays or I think he goes to the angels. I don't, I don't think he, I don't even think he goes to the Dodgers to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know that they can afford him. Um, And I honestly believe that if Astros fans can remember back when we had Nolan Ryan and the Astros owner did not sign Nolan Ryan and he went to, he went to Arlington, and he became a Ranger, and he went in the Hall of Fame as a Ranger. How painful that still is for true Astros fans. If Cole signs somewhere else, he's going to be Jim Crane's Nolan Ryan, and you're going to have to pitch against him for 10 years. And I don't think – I think you have to do whatever you can to re-sign him because you can't let this guy get away. You just you just can't do it. Um it, it will mean sacrificing some key pieces down the road. Um, but, I mean, this is this is a guy that there is, to me, there's no way around it. I'm Honestly, guys like Correa will probably be on the line to go somewhere else if they sign him. And, and there will be other impacts. But is he worth the risk, you know, high risk, high reward? Um, I don't I don't think there's a question about it. You do whatever you can to make it work, because if he makes two hundred and fifty or two hundred eighty or three hundred million in California, it's half. Because the luxury tax out there is—I mean, the tax on your salary out there is ridiculous. In Texas, there's no state income tax, so you get a three hundred million dollar contract, you're basically getting three million dollars. You know what I'm saying? I mean, tax man's still going to get his stuff, but there's no state income tax, and I just don't know how you can compete with that. Even though California is his home and all that stuff, I think Garrett Cole is being won over by the fans, and I think the fans will be the ones that kind of, kind of are the tipping point. I may be with rose-colored glasses here, Astros colored glasses, but I, I think he stays. I'm more optimistic about him staying than a lot of people. Yeah, and and I I agree with you to to a large extent. I think the Astros do have to do anything and everything they can do to keep him. Because he's, I mean, he's a generational talent. 
you have a guy on your team who, if not for Verlander, would be the runaway Cy Young favorite, and he might still win it anyway. And he's twenty; just turned twenty-nine years old. He's still in the prime of his career. You have unlocked another level to his talent since he's been in Houston. I mean, you you just it's so hard to let somebody like that walk away. And I understand the reasoning if they were to do that, because I've you know, my my armchair GM mind looks at everything in, in different ways and I can understand why they would want to do that because if they if they bring Cole back, I honestly don't know how they can keep George Springer. I think Springer would probably end up leaving as a free agent just because they wouldn't be able to afford him, um, which that would be tough. That would be a really tough loss. But, you know, it's one of those things. Who who would you – who do you need more, and who are you more willing to give that money to? And at this point, with the fact that the Astros have had difficulty developing uh, young starting pitching talent, I feel like you need Cole more. I agree. I would what do you pri- think, Andrew? <laughs> I'd prioritize Cole for sure. What about trying to explore a trade, you know, partner for Correa, you know, where he's a little bit injury prone? And I mean, I would value Springer more than Correa at this point. And maybe that frees up what he would make in arbitration a little bit. Any Easily. Uh, I, I think, I think, um, Adam Clanton from 790 said it best. I interviewed him about two months ago, and he said um, A.J. Hinch kind of looks at George Springer like a son, and he said he would be shocked if he ever let Springer play in another uniform. He said, you know, I mean, he's really the heart and soul of this team. Um, I know Altuve is the kind of the 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 leader, and that's what, you know, Verlander's like Altuve's our leader. But, you know, it's like Andrew said, you know, as Springer goes, so the team goes. And, and he's he's so integral. Um, I honestly think Correa, although he's talented, I think his injuries make him 100% expendable. Um, but Springer, again, maybe maybe he gives you a hometown discount. You know, maybe he doesn't go test that massive free agent market to where, you know, some people are thinking he might end up in Boston one day because he's from Connecticut. Um, but I think they... I don't know. In a perfect world, we keep Cole and we keep Springer. Yeah, and I I wouldn't be opposed to uh, trading Correa because, um, you know, like you've alluded to, he's insanely talented. But if he's only out there half the time, then how much value does he really give you? Um, The thing about trading, if you trade Correa this offseason, you're not clearing a whole lot of salary off your books. Not yet. Um and I think if, I think they are going to trade Josh Reddick this offseason just because they have to uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to clear his salary, and number two, to open up a, an everyday role for Kyle Tucker. Um, but even, you know, even if you trade Correa and you trade Reddick, you're still, if you re-sign Cole, you're going to be well into the luxury tax. And I don't know how much stock we want to put into Jim Crane's comments that he doesn't want to go into the luxury tax. Uh, he, you know, maybe he really doesn't want to go there and they have to let Cole walk just because they can't afford him. Or maybe he's just saying that, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Jeff Luno can, can convince him otherwise. And maybe 
who knows, maybe a, a World Series championship will give him some extra cash to play around with. Well, you know, I don't I don't know if y'all saw it, but um, they they interviewed, um, you know, Garrett Cole um, about coming over to Houston and they and they asked them about, you know, what was the presentation like or what was the meeting like when when you were talking to the Astros? And he said he said, you know, I can't really tell you everything that went on in the meeting, but it was pretty unbelievable um, how they brought me in and showed me things that I'd never seen before. And um, they've got quite a sales pitch. You know, Lunau has got a um, he's got a reputation in the league. Um, he's kind of a uh, he's kind of a headhunter. He's kind of like your um, you know he's kind of what Derek Thomas was in the NFL when he was linebacking and getting eight sacks a game. I mean, he's a guy that no like when Jeff Lunau walks in the room, everybody's like, oh crap, here comes Lunau. What's he going to do now? Like, who's he taking from us now? Um, and kind of the word on the streets is, um, if Lunau asks about a player you don't know about, you better sign him to a big contract because he's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, Jordan Alvarez being the prime example. They yes. they traded they traded Josh Fields, and they got Jordan Alvarez, and and that you know that could be uh, that could be the Jeff Bagwell trade part two for the Astros franchise. I yeah, did, I agree. I did a top ten uh, MLB GM list, and I, I ranked Lunau number one on that list. I had uh, Friedman, Anthopoulos, Epstein, and Antonetti as my top five. Cashman of the Yankees, I think, is one of the most overrated ever, uh, and I have him at number seven. But uh, let, let me just tell you this. From an outsider's perspective, I, I, I could sit here and thump my chest and say, you know, we've won four championships since the turn of the century, and that's great. But the Astros have by far the smartest front office of any team. Like, the way you guys identify and maximize value, only maybe the Dodgers are on your level, you know, or close to. You, you look at last offseason, there was like, a, you know, kind of a bidding war, you know, between three or four teams for Machado and Harper. You guys had the means to go that route if you wanted to. Uh, but you played it cool and you signed Michael Brantley. Like that was the bargain move of last winter. And just absolutely. Oh, man. It, it, no, yeah, it, it was, I mean, I don't know. Um, Andrew, I don't know if you recall, but there were so many people saying, Oh, Brantley's washed up. You know, you remember when they signed him? It was like, eh, you know, He's good, but he's getting older, and he's not really hitting that well, and he's had some injury issues. And I was like, oh, I don't know. He's he's coming to the Astros. <laughs> he's probably going to turn yeah. it around. Yeah, I, I loved that signing when it was announced because if Brantley's healthy, he's going to hit. He's going to hit north of 300. He's going to hit a bunch of doubles. Not a huge power guy, but you know he, he doesn't strike out much. He hits for a high average. He plays solid defense. And so that that was the whole thing is if he's healthy, you're going to get good performance out of him. And he has been healthy and it's paid off brilliantly that and the Wade Miley signing was another excellent one. Um, you know, his, his last month of the season, notwithstanding it was, you know, he was one of the best pitchers in the league for five months of the year and to pluck him on a, on a one year deal for, for a bargain salary 
those were two brilliant moves that Luno made last offseason. I was just going to mention, uh, Miley, he, his ERA as he approached September was 295, so it was under three, and then he just got shelled for a month, and it ballooned up to 398, but you guys got really good value out of him for five months, and you paid $4.5 million uh, for him for one year. The Red Sox, based on three postseason starts, gave Nathan Avaldi a four-year $68 million deal. Just based on three postseason starts, he was terrible for us outside of maybe his first two starts after the trade. And as we approached last uh, postseason, we didn't know what his role was going to be. You know, he he had good numbers against the Yankees, so he got a start against them based on that and kind of built some momentum and kind of rolled out. His, his toughest start was he went five or six innings and – he was okay, but he definitely labored the most against you guys. And then, you know, the the Yankees and the uh, Dodgers are, are launch angle teams, and, and he was able to keep the ball up in the zone and pitched well against them. But, you know, when this season started, he just was back to his old self, and he spent some time on the DL, and the Red Sox just got the worst value ever out of him. And you guys got Miley on a cheap deal. You put him on your pitching program. And just like you did with Charlie Morton and even Garrett Cole. I mean, Cole was always essentially an ace. But, I mean, you guys basically turned him into a, a monster. You know, a, a possible generational type pitcher. And you're, you know, I don't know what you guys do. <laughs> You know, as far as your program goes, but you you really revive a lot of careers. So, you know, so when that that just goes to show you why I, I just think you guys are the best front office in, in Major League Baseball. And thank goodness we fired Dave Dombrowski, so maybe we can stop making <laughs> stupid moves. And I I was like all alone on the island of eviscerating the Chris Sale signing when it happened. Everybody celebrated it when it happened. I'm like, the dude's got the ugliest delivery I've ever seen. The, you know, there's no way his his arm or shoulder is going to stay healthy into his 30s with that delivery, and he falls off a cliff at, at the end of, you know, July every year. And, and you know, they were dumb enough to give him a, a deal. And the thing that made it insanely stupid was – he, he had one year left. He was coming into his final option year, so they could have waited and then signed him. Like, there's no way he gets that deal, you know, next month based on the season he has. And that's how stupid we are, you know. And excuse me. Well, so. you know, um, well, you know, I wrote a I wrote a series all all season on on Wade Miley. I I really like the Wade Miley signing, and uh, I remember watching him with Milwaukee and. And still to this day, I, I wonder if if, um, if if Council regrets pulling him too early against the Dodgers because I really think if they'd have left, left him in a couple more innings that you might have seen the uh, Red Sox playing the Brewers and not the Dodgers last year. Um, but, man, Wade Miley just, just, just all year long grinded. And one of the things, you know, you touch on is 
our front office and how impressive they are. Um, but also, I think on a on a personnel level, um, AJ Hinch talks about this a lot, and I think that's why Wade Miley's fit, and I think that's why Garrett Cole is so appreciative. Michael Brantley is they pick these guys that seem to just exude um, being a student of the game, um, having a respect for the clubhouse, not like coming in and I'm sorry, like a Manny Machado. You know, um, who 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 to me seems to be more of a liability than a help to a team and an individual, a prima donna type type of mindset. And I think the Astros concentrate on that a lot. I think they knew Miley's past. They knew how hard of a worker he was. They looked. I mean, they basically background checked him on everything. And with Brent Strom, um, you know, and Brent Strom will always credit the pitchers because he'll say, I, I, "I'm only as great as my pitchers are doing." When when I was in St. Louis, I was doing one thing and I got fired. I'm doing the same thing now and my pitchers are executing, so now I'm this genius. Um, but it's 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 just unbelievable guy after guy. And even when they brought in Osuna, the waves and issues that that could have caused because of all the background stuff going on, this clubhouse was so solid that they were able to not let that get them off course and obviously they didn't win last year but i really think it had to do with a lot to do with injuries and i don't think anybody could have stopped the red sox last year to be honest in 2018 it was just their year but this clubhouse culture is a major part of the recruiting department of bringing in players and bringing in the right players it's like they have a puzzle and they're like this player okay he doesn't fit here um you know we don't want him okay he fits here um and they make that player, they mold the team, and then they say, okay, you fit into our team. They don't fit their team around a player. You know, They don't go get a player and go, we're going to build around you. They're like, we're built. You're coming into our system. And I think that's what works for them, just like a gym. Yeah. And, yeah. And, or go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I agree with you, and, and I think part of the reason it works so well is that the organization – from the top down is all in sync. What Jeff Luna wants, what AJ Hinch wants, what Brett Brent Strom wants, they are all in sync on these types of things. So whatever their strategy is with a particular pitcher, and we've seen a lot of them where it's four seam fastballs, high spin rate curveballs. What they're looking for in a pitcher, they are all in sync. So you don't you don't have conflicting messages coming at these pitchers when they're coming in here. They're getting consistent coaching, consistent numbers, and they're able to mold their strengths to fit what the Astros are looking for. So they're able to to sort of pull things from these guys that they no other club has been able to do. They're able to harness these guys' abilities in a different way and they know what they're looking for. There's no inconsistencies in this organization. It's from the top down. They know what they want, and they get the most out of these guys. And that's why it's worked so well is because there's all these smart guys, and they all are in sync. Yeah, And look at Charlie Morton. I mean, a year removed, and he's probably going to finish third in the Cy Young voting. So, like, he was, he retained whatever whatever he took away from you guys and, and is still a top pitcher today. And when you get talk about Garrett Cole, like, you know, you guys obviously hope that there's a way to re-sign him. But I would almost just be intrigued to see what Lou now does 
aside from that, whether it's a trade that you don't see coming or you you find that guy that's had the potential to be, uh, you know, a middle to top end of the rotation guy and you bring him in, put him on your program and off you go. I mean, you got Verlander for at least two more years after, and I, I suspect he might be pitching. He says he wants to pitch into his mid forties. You know, Nolan Ryan was his hero. So, you know, you, you could have several more years of Verlander and you got a couple more out of Grinky. I Forrest Whitley had a terrible year by the looks of it, but if you guys can get him right, you know, there's some young talent that you're going to have for quite a while. And I just, I just have the utmost confidence in Lunau that he's going to keep you guys competitive for a while. And when I, when I talked about our four championships if you look at the last few, like we fell off a cliff the very next season, you guys are in your third straight ALCS and, and probably the favorites to win it all. So I think you guys' future is incredibly bright. Yeah, I would, you know, obviously I would agree. <laughs> um but it's it's just a it's just an unbelievable time, and I know um, Andrew, um, um, he and I have been you know we've been Astros fans. I mean, for as long as we can recall, and and you know we've we've been we've seen the very bottom, and and and, and now we're at this crescendo, and it's not anything um, like the storied franchises have experienced. But um, you know, such a time as this, and that. And that the that I feel like the Astros are taking every opportunity with what they have, um, but make no mistake about it. Even if they don't keep Cole, which I hate even saying that, um, this organization is still built to last. Um, and and there are there are I think there I think we still have prospects that that for the next several years are going to contribute. And so um, that's 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 what I love about this ball club um, is this owner has put together. Um, an amazing organization, um, like Andrew said, from top to bottom. And I think that's probably the most perfect description of the Astros is that they are all in sync. And I think that's what, you know, separates us um, from everybody else. I think so. Uh, I agree it, with you there. And um, and actually, you know, on uh, on Forrest Whitley, we had, we had mentioned him. He's uh, He did have a rough year, but he's actually been lights out in the Arizona Fall League right now. So uh, hopefully they they do have him turn back around, and and I agree with with what Brett said about even if even if Cole leaves, they're they're going to be fine. They're still going to be probably winning the division um, on a yearly basis for the foreseeable future at least, uh, just because they they've got so much talent and there are guys who keep coming up like Alvarez and Kyle Tucker who can contribute. So, um, yeah, the, as long as Jeff Luno is running the show, they're going to be competitive every year. And you guys mentioned that the Angels for Cole, the Angels are a trash organization, you know, when it comes to operating. I mean, I don't believe in, in giving position players contracts north of $200 million, and that includes Mookie Betts, by the way. I... <laughs> it's going to make my day when they trade him because I do not want him getting a trout contract. All you do when you sign that is you basically just handcuffed yourself. Only once in the history 
of the World Series did it get one with a position player making north of $175 million. A, a position player. That was 2009, the Yankees with Alex Rodriguez. That's the only time it's ever happened. There is no value in that. And uh, so they signed Mike Trout to that mega deal, the just disgusting, filthy money. You know, Harper got a record deal of $330 million, and that was a record. And then, like, four or five days later, the Angels are like, oh, yeah? Okay, well, our guy's making 430, you know, and they exceeded that by 100. And the previous record before Harper was 325, that's Stanton. So Harper only beats it by 5 million, and then the the Angels go over it by 100. And I'm just like... Yeah, I mean... Well, hang on, and then then you know what they do? They, They go get Matt Harvey, Cody Allen... And Justin Bohr. And they're like, these are the guys we're going to put around Mike Trout. And they are just they are just a stupid organization. Bottom three. I put the Mets down there and the Marlins. And maybe the Marlins will improve finally, you know, under new ownership. But they, they've been at the bottom for a while. Well, you know, I think it I think it kind of turns into somewhat of a pissing contest, if I can say that. Um, I know you said uh, cursing was a little bit loud. but Oh, you're um, good. It it actually remi- yeah it actually reminds me of um, the microcosm of that I see in our area where I live in um, it's just uh, south of south of Houston a little bit um, where you'll have you'll have two or three kids join a select team um, and then you know a couple kids won't get invited and, and so these dads will be like well we're going to start a better select team and then you have all these like select teams that are supposed to be really good but like they have like one good player and then the rest of the players are just kind of average or below average. And that's kind of what the angels are. You know, Mike Trout is that stud that is like, you know, he's like the all city player and, and, you know, Hey, Hey, did you hear this? This team signed them, you know, the power bat signed them and, Oh yeah, they're going to be awesome. And then they can't even compete for a division. Um, I think the only reason why people say Cole and I say Cole is because he's from California. Um, and I think that, I think the Angels would throw the throw the baby in the bathwater. I mean, everything at him. But you know, the Alex Rodriguez thing wasn't that his second two hundred million dollar contract he had received? Because didn't he get that from the uh, from the Rangers before he got it from the Yankees? Uh, yeah, he he, he got uh, two seventy five from the Rangers, I think, and then the the Yankees upped it to what was it two ninety or three hundred? I think. <laughs> It was two two fifty with uh, Texas, and then in two thousand seven, after that season, he opted out, and then got two seventy five uh, from the Yankees. Okay. Yeah, so that that was his second deal, and the the Yankees had Tashira at big money, Sabathia mm-hmm. at big money, and Jeter must have been making a fortune. So they kind of went into purgatory right after that. You know, I'm sure you know it's great that you win a championship, but it definitely came with a cost and they didn't get out from under that until, you know, 2016 when they shipped a couple of guys, you know, they let the Cubs basically rent Chapman and got Glaber Torres out of it when they wanted Schwarber, by the way, (laughs) I bet they're counting their lucky stars. They didn't, you know, that that didn't happen because, you know, Torres obviously a much better player and, uh, they, they got a nice little haul for, uh, Andrew Miller and you know and then by then Judge was ready to to come up and 
but like I said, it came with a cost with, with all those huge contracts. And I just, I don't, it's so hard to even buy a championship nowadays. And we're going to spend a couple of years yeah. ourselves, you know, re-situating our payroll before we're competitive again. And it's just not worth it. You guys are doing it the right way. You're, you're making good value moves and you're keeping yourself sustainable year in and year out. And you got a good clubhouse. You know, we got David Price flipping out on Dennis Eckersley <laughs> every so often and Pedroia ratting out his teammates, you know, for stupid stuff. And, oh, God, it's painful. Well, well yeah, Andrew, yeah. I was – sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andrew. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to make a, a point about the going back to the Angels. The the way that they have spent money, they gave all that money to Pujols, they gave all that money to Josh Hamilton, and now to Mike Trout. I think that's exactly why they are going to be in the mix for Cole, because they they are just the type of team to throw a ridiculous amount of money at somebody. And the reason that they have not been able to buy a championship while the Yankees did, is that their farm system hasn't churned out anything aside from Mike Trout in the past 10 years. Um, so, you know, the the Yankees, I actually give Brian Cashman a good amount of credit because after they bought that championship in 09 with Teixeira and Sabathia, they actually managed to essentially rebuild without tearing it down. They remain competitive now they may not necessarily have made the playoffs every year but they didn't tank they didn't they didn't completely strip it down they remain competitive and now they've got a young a fairly young core you've got judge you've got severino you've got you know gliber torres um so they've been able to get young talent around uh, you know around which to build and then they've got the money to spend to add more pieces to the mix. The Angels, they've got Mike Trout and nothing else. And so they spend a ton of money on all these other guys when that's not going to build you a complete team. Yeah, you've got Pujols, but he's a shell of what he used to be. Justin Upton's not worth the money you're paying him. Josh Hamilton flamed out, and they haven't had a good rotation for several years. You know, you can spend all the money you want, but that's not going to get you a, a ring. But they keep doing it, and that's why I think they, if anybody's going to throw $300 million bucks at Garrett Cole, they are the right team to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, I just want to um, just kind of um, put a put a bow on that because, I mean, perfectly said. Um, I, I honestly think that if Garrett Cole is the competitor that, that he's shown us he is, why would you? want to sacrifice having a winning edge and the potential to go back to more than one World Series to take that extra money that you're really not going to get because, yeah, you may have your name as the largest contract ever, but you're not guaranteed even a playoff spot going there. And to me, I know me as a competitor, I don't want to play for a losing team. I want to play for a winner. And I think because Verlander is here and because him and Verlander have become kind of best friends, I think there's going to be a lot of things that play in our favor that a lot of big media people don't want to really talk about and think, uh, I mean, oh, it's Houston, he's going to leave. I, I just, I honestly think, to me, 
I think it's about I was forty I was fifty percent. I'm more sixty five to seventy percent that he's gonna stay. I, I, I just I just feel in my heart of hearts that there are too many intangible things or too many things here that would that would keep him here. I mean, why would you go there? Why why would you go somewhere else? I mean, you're you're set up like you're set up to be a god. I mean, they're gonna build a statue of Lunau, they're probably gonna build a statue of of, you know, half this team and I mean Garrett Cole's right there behind him. You know what I'm saying? It's the he it's it, it's that perfect of a setup in my mind. No, that's that's a great point. And and the key is the Astros don't necessarily have to have the biggest offer, but they have to make a competitive offer. Cole isn't exactly gonna take, okay. isn't gonna take a low ball offer by any means. No. So it, it's really gonna come down to is the ownership willing to go over the luxury tax to bring Cole back because that's really what it's going to take. And if they're willing to do that and they're willing to put a competitive offer on the table, then, yeah, the Astros have a lot of things working in their favor to bring him back. It's all about his ownership willing to spend that extra money to keep him and keep the core of this team together. If they are, we've got a great chance. Well, he's... He just turned 29 uh, last month, and I don't think he's going to quite get $300 million. I, I mean, because that would take him close to age 40. And, I mean, Scherzer and Price are, you know, both got seven-year deals around, let's see, one was 210, the other was 216. Um, Grinky has a higher annual value, but his was one year less so I don't think he might get like thirty-five million a year or so, and that that would make him the highest-paid pitcher annually. And then I think he's probably going to get seven years, like the other one. So I'm not good at math, but I mean that that puts him roughly in the probably the two fifty to two sixty range is is what it's going to cost uh, to keep him and. You know, I wouldn't worry too much about the Angels. Like you said, it's not a competitive team. Part of the problem with them is their owner gets too involved, Artie Moreno, and that's never good in any sport. You know, I'll. are you guys Dallas Cowboys fans by any chance? Definitely 100% no. I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> Okay. They suck. I'm sorry. And it's and it's you know and I I live in enemy territory. I live in DFW. So there's there's Cowboys fans everywhere. There's Rangers fans everywhere. Uh, there was a line in in one of the Indiana Jones movies where um, Sean Connery says we're pilgrims in an unholy land, and that's kind of what I feel like up here. Okay. Well, I live a million miles away, and I'm a Cowboys fan, and. We're not going to see another Super Bowl until Jerry Jones dies, literally. So it's just, it's never good. It's never good when owners get involved, regardless of the sport. And that's part of the Angels' problem. But but Garrett Cole is a Scott Boris client, so that kind of, it worries me a little bit. But like I said, your future is bright, and you're going to continue to be smarter than everyone else. And, um... I just I wouldn't worry about it. And getting back, well, to, you know, remember Al, Altuve is also a Boris client. He is, and that was a very surprising deal coming off of an MVP season, especially the way it was structured because it didn't kick in until like 
and it hasn't kicked in. He had la- last year, this year, and then it kicks in next year. So that did surprise me a little bit. But, yeah, and we had Xander Bogart sign early. He's a Boris guy as well. So, you know, it doesn't always mean they're going to get the most money. But, but I yeah, I mean, I think you guys are probably the front runners. And if not, you know, you're, you're going to have plenty of money to spend to, to do whatever you need to do. And I'm just envious because, you know, we got a couple of bad contracts on our books and we're going to be paying for that for quite some time. So, um, yeah, hopefully we might get Friedman. There's talk of that right now. I who, who really knows, but that would be really interesting. But anyway, uh, before we wrap here, how about a prediction for the series? Uh, I'm going to boldly assume you're going Astros. So how many games does it go? Andrew, you want to go first? Sure. Um, You know, I I think it's going to go seven. I really do. And I think it's going to come down to Garrett Cole, uh, you know, silencing the Yankees in game seven. I think the Yankees will probably... At the very least, win game four because uh, who knows? It'll probably be a partial bullpen game for the Astros. They may put Jose or Quiddy out there in game four. Um, but I, I do think with these teams both being so good, it, it I mean, it, one of them could win it in five or six, but I, I, I think I'd put my money on seven games with as good as both of these clubs are. Yeah, I just um, my my initial um, non-bias Houston um, lens tells me seven games Houston Astros that it goes the way that it's gone, where the home team has won every game. With that said, I give a little side note to the if the Astros win games one and two, and Garrett Cole can shut the Yankees down in game three, I think the Astros win it in game six with Justin Verlander closing it out. But that's a tall task. This is the New York Yankees. This isn't any other team. I mean, these are the two best teams. This is essentially the World Series. Um, these are the two best offenses. Um, they've got the they've got the best things you can throw out on the Astros have the best starters. Yankees quote unquote have the best bullpen. And so personally, I think it's Astros in seven. I think there's a possibility Houston takes it before that, but everything has to be perfect for that to happen. And I just, baseball's not a perfect game. Um, you know, if you fall in love with it too closely, it'll definitely break your heart. I think that the Yankees are, are situated very well for games four and five. Like you said, you got Urquidy possibly going in game four, maybe Miley. It depends. You might need them coming out of the pen, you know, before that. So that could you know, shake things up for as far as what your plans are for that game. And I think Grinky is going to lose in the Bronx game five. I just, I don't think, I, I don't like him pitching in the Bronx. So I'll give that game to the Yankees. So the, that, the one game that's kind of the X factor here is game one. If the Astros win game one with Grinky pitching at home, I think they take it in six. If the Yankees win the opener in, in Houston, I'll pick the, uh, I'll say the Astros will still win it, but, uh, you know, in seven games is how I see it. I like, I like the sixth, uh, game though, personally. So I, 
I mean, like I said, I mean, I mean, is that is that is that realistic? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't disrespect the Yankees at all. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't take them lightly. Um, I wasn't even taking the Rays lightly when we when we played them. Um, the Yankees have have a lot to like baseball wise. The Yankees have a lot to respect. I mean, the way they go about their business. Um, yeah, I mean, because we're Houston, you know, we hate the Yankees or we don't like New York, whatever. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the best team, you want to play the other guys that are also called the best team because that's what the best teams do. They go out and play competition that's as good, if not better, than you are. And, and um, I just I think the game six is a realistic possibility. But again, everything has to go their way. Um, and this this Yankee ball club is it's hard to find a chink in their armor right now. Yeah, and, you know, like you just kind of alluded to, I mean, you're either the best team or you're not, you know. So, you know, everybody just needs to step up and, and be the best team, basically. And, and uh, you know, you'll you'll win your second championship in, in three years, you know, and that's phenomenal. <laughs> you know, and I hope it happens. Justin Verlander is my, my favorite non-Red Sox player. And I was so thrilled when you guys got him because I knew he had a chance to, to win a ring finally. And, you know, Detroit's a, a wasteland right now and probably will be for at least a couple more years. But, um, but yeah, here's one final question. We'll definitely wrap on this. When he goes to the Hall of Fame, because he will, you know, on, the fir- on his first year of eligibility, what cap does he wear? That's a tough question. I think if if the if he wins a second title with the Astros and stays with the Astros until he retires, I think he'll go in an Astros cap. Any other scenario, if he finishes his career elsewhere, he'll probably go in as a Tiger, but he could end up, I mean, he'll probably still have more counting numbers with the Tigers just because of the number of years he was there. But you could argue his, I mean, so far since he's been in Houston, his average stats have been better. So uh, I think if he, if he sticks it out for at least another few years into his 40s with the Astros, I think he could very well go in as an Astro. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah I agree. Um, now, I have a question, guys, because off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Does the player decide or does the Hall of Fame decide the what player, cap they go in? I think the player does. Oh, oh, the player it's, does. Okay, well. Yeah, the player has a lot of say in it. I, I don't – I think the Hall probably has some influence on it too, but um, I think ultimately it is largely up to the player. So. Someone – Yeah, I, I think – I think I agree. Just to just to kind of finalize Andrew's thought, if you don't mind, um, I think Andrew said it perfectly. If if he stays with them, if he retires with the Astros, gets that second title, um, I I think he he becomes our Nolan Ryan, where you'll never forget the contributions he made to Detroit. Um, did you always be beloved there? But because of what he did there, um, because of what he did here, I think he'll go in as an Astro and. But it won't be like a sore – like for us, I think when Nolan Ryan went as a Ranger, it was kind of like a – we kind of felt like it was a kick in the teeth a little bit. We're like, oh, he should be an Astro. 
but he made all his record-breaking accomplishments in the Rangers uniform. They paid him. They believed in him. He retired there. Um, I think Justin Verlander more, is more sweet than bitter if he does go in as an Astro. I think Detroit fans would understand that. At least that's the ones that I've talked to have said that. Yeah, I just think of the Jim Leland years, and so that's what you know kind of gives me a little bit of pause when I when I try to you know dissect that. But uh, the other interesting thing here was you heard about the the night he accepted the trade. There was only forty seconds left because he wanted to go to Chicago. Like he held out just in case Epstein came up with some type of deal, but. They didn't come to the table, and and Houston, you know, was the team with the you know with the trade package, and and you know he came to he came to Houston. So I'm I bet yeah he's happy it ended up working out the way it did. Oh yeah, I remember that night very clearly because I went to bed after the news had kind of gotten out that he he wasn't waiving his no-trade clause right off the bat. Um, so I went to bed angry and cussing his name and everything. And then <laughs> I woke up the next morning, and it was, holy crap, they got him. Uh, <laughs> and I, that, I think that one kind of stuck in my wife's mind, too. That that she, she remembers that pretty clearly as well, so... Um, but yeah, I think it, it worked out for the best for everybody there. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, just let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, you know, you're going to be posting stuff, I'm sure throughout the, uh, you know, ALCS and hopefully the world series. So if anybody wants to read up on the Astros, where can they, uh, find that? Yeah, it's, it's climbing um, we, uh, post everything on Facebook, Twitter as well. Um, so follow us on those platforms for everything Astros. Um, I know, uh, Brett, you've got your podcast if you want right. to plug that one as well. Yeah. Um, I'm actually co-host of the Robin wheelhouse show and I go by H town wheelhouse online. Um, baseball is my wheelhouse. Um, you know, Houston is my home. So that's why I'm H town wheelhouse. Um, I also run a uh, I run a, a page on Facebook, and it's called Stros Four One One S T R O S Four One One, and our slogan is always positive, always Astros. We've got we're almost at thirty thousand followers right now. Um, we link um, pretty much all of Climbing Towels Hills articles on our page, and we have another guy on there from Astros Future, a guy named Jimmy Price that contributes and brings his stuff that follows the Astros minor league system. Um, so from the podcast, Robin Wheelhouse, to Stroh's 411 and being a part of the team at Climbing Towels Hill, um, check us out when you get a chance. Um, even if you just want to find out about your opponent, um, we'd love to have you. Absolutely, and uh, you know I'd encourage everyone to uh, check that out. You guys sounds like you have a very big, you know, very well networked uh, community. So uh, that baseball needs that right now, you know. And uh, you know it's nice to see that that you guys have a community like that. Well, thanks again for coming on. I I'm rooting for you guys. I'm Team Astros. I I don't have a jersey, nice. but if I did, I would wear one. I'm 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 that kind of a fan, you know. And if my fellow Sox fans get pissed, oh well, you know. I'm I'm an against the grain <laughs> kind of guy, but 
I'll be rooting for you guys. And I did the same thing in 2017, by the way. You guys sent us packing after Kimbrell coughed up the lead in game four. And I said, well, it looks like I'm an Astros fan for the rest of the way. I did, And I did it with Cleveland, too. I did it in 2016 and rooted them over the Cubs just because, you know, I'm a huge Francona guy. You know, that was my favorite era, you know, as far as Red Sox baseball. I always have a soft spot for him. And uh, so I have a habit of, you know, jumping on the bandwagons of the, the teams that destroy us. So anyway, uh, have a good night. Thanks again. And, uh, and, uh, good luck, you know, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate the time. You're welcome. Have a good night. Go Astros. Episode 175 in the books, only 24 hours after the National League preview. So, uh, appreciate uh, both Andrew and uh, Brett coming on. And uh, game one of the uh, series with the Yankees and Astros starts tomorrow. They are the later game. I think that starts uh, a little after 8 p.m., so... Uh, well, uh, hopefully Zach Grinke can, uh, have a big game and, uh, put the Yankees in the hole 0-1 right out of the gates. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back on next week at some point to, uh, talk some more baseball and maybe some Red Sox haven't talked, uh, about them too much. Maybe some more Andrew Friedman uh, developments will take place, but take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing at a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch. He did it. He got it. Here we go. Time to party right here. 3 2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it?